Welcome to The Change, a podcast about perimenopause for people in their 30s and 40s. I'm your host, Caitlin O'Connor, naturopathic doctor with a practice in Denver, Colorado, supporting patients with their health and hormones throughout the many phases of life. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. This is a hot flash where we're coming in hot with quick reviews of common topics around perimenopause. Today's topic is changes in body hair and skin. So oftentimes perimenopausal folks will notice some new experiences when it comes to their hair and skin. One common experience is an increase in or new patterns related to facial hair growth. And how folks feel about these experiences can be variable. Some people might be stoked on their new or thicker facial hair. Other folks might be neutral and some might want to go on ASAP. I don't want to assume or project how these changes might be experienced in other people's bodies, but I do think a lot of folks wonder why this happens. The main theory is that as estrogen levels are fluctuating and often decreasing, there is a relative increase in the ratio of circulating testosterone to circulating estrogen. And this higher available testosterone will become active at the hair follicle and stimulate hair growth. So this can result in generally more peach fuzz on the face, but also an activation of previously dormant follicles, which can result in a thickening and darkening of existing hair growth patterns, but also totally new and exciting areas of hair growth in previously non-hairy places. For example, at around age 45, I just randomly started sprouting singular, long and springy, pitch black chin hairs that seemed to appear overnight. Body hair can also change as well, with a general trend towards increasing growth, thicker and possibly darker hair growth, and a faster turnover rate overall. So for folks who remove their body hair, they might find they're having to do so more frequently. There really isn't a ton that needs to be done. For folks who don't like it, there are many removal options. Shaving, waxing, and plucking are short-term options, while semi-permanent hair removal, such as laser hair removal or electrolysis, are more long-term. It is important to note that any removal options only remove what is currently present, Even with laser and electrolysis, many folks will need touch-ups based on how vigorous their hair growth is. For some, a medication called spironolactone can block testosterone activity at the hair follicle and may be able to slow new growth patterns. But again, once hair growth is established, the only way to effectively remove it is to take it off. Anything you take as far as medications or supplements won't change the appearance of the hair that is already present, but may be able to modify how quickly or how thick it is when it grows back. This is another symptom that tends to rev up during the transition of perimenopause and then chill out a bit in the postmenopausal years. So if these changes are stressing you out or if your hair removal option of choice is getting expensive, don't worry, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Another common change that people experience is an increase in acne and breakouts. What the heck? One mechanism is pretty similar to why hairs are growing faster the availability of testosterone. Testosterone will increase oil production in the skin, which often can lead to more breakouts. Another component is that especially in the earlier phases of perimenopause, there are many times that circulating estrogen levels are gonna be even higher than they've been in the past. And this boost of extra estrogen can increase pore size, change oil production, again, in a way that might cause more breakouts as well. This can come and go with different phases of the cycle, which is a big indication that is being hormonally mediated. Again, this is another symptom that will stabilize and settle into the new normal once you reach the postmenopausal years. To mitigate acne, basic lifestyle changes can be really supportive. Stay hydrated, get good sleep, and be mindful about foods that spike blood sugar. I personally love a solid 10-step skincare routine, and my bathroom cabinet is notoriously packed with serums, sprays, salves, balms, and masks. 
But if that isn't fun for you, no problem. However, you do want to step your skincare up if you're having breakout symptoms that are bothering you. And the products that work for you in the past may not work for you now. So you might need to switch things up. And that is a critical lesson for all areas of life with perimenopause. What worked for you before might not work for you now. So be open to reflection and change. At a minimum, consider a good cleanser, toner, and serum. Both vitamin C and retinol serums can be awesome for perimenopausal skin. For affordable and high-quality, simple formulations, I love The Ordinary. And for the eco-luxury route, check out either Beauty Heroes or Boxwalla. For those who are new to multi-step skincare, a toner is usually a spray that hydrates the skin and prepares it for the applications of serums or creams. A serum is usually a liquid. It may be either water or fat-soluble, and it has active ingredients that focus on different skin types and conditions. If you want to get fancy and layer your serums, you want to apply the water-based serums first and then the oil-based serum after that. And then ideally, especially for folks with dry skin or who live in dry climates like we do in Colorado, finish with a cream to seal everything in. Masks are another option to be used on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. They can power up your routine and be a nice step in your self-care. But again, this is all for fun, so if it seems stressful, just don't do it. My personal opinion is that with all the indirect exposure to chemicals in our environment that may have a detrimental impact on hormones, we should focus on less toxic ingredients when we have the option. My favorite resource for investigating ingredients in skincare is the Skin Deep database from the Environmental Working Group. You can look up your products and have them rated on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being the least concerning when it comes to ingredients, 10 being the most. I think you should be especially conservative when it comes to products that you use daily, products that cover a lot of surface area or things that you put near your mucous membranes, the juicy tissue type that lines your mouth, nose, and eyes, and that can enhance absorption. Everything you put on your skin ends up circulating in your bloodstream. So again, when possible, I think it makes sense to minimize the extra ingredients. No need to freak out and throw everything away. Just take a peek at your ratings when you throw out one product and consider choosing a different option when replacing it. In addition to acne, some folks will also get dry skin or a combo of dry skin plus acne. This is usually secondary to the impact of lowering estrogens. All the basics apply here, especially hydration, but don't be afraid to moisturize. An oil-based serum plus a cream might be necessary. For folks who are experiencing the double blessing of both acne and dry skin, be mindful of choosing moisturizing products that do not cause breakouts. Rosehip seed oil is a great option here as it is one of the few oils that doesn't block pores, plus it has vitamin C, which can be awesome for acne-prone skin. And skin over the whole body can decrease in hydration content and become more thin overall. If you have less layers in your skin, you have less places to store and hold moisture. So with a trend towards lower estrogen levels, now is really the time to Moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. Lotion is truly your friend during this phase of life. As far as fingernails, with the overall drying and thinning effects of lowering estrogen, we can start to see thinning of the nails as well. Don't forget nails, cuticles, and nail beds need moisture too. A lot of nail problems, especially brittle nails, can actually be attributed to nails that are dehydrated. You don't need a special lotion or a oil. Just rub what you have into your nails and cuticles, especially when the weather is cold or dry. Just a note that both nail changes and changes to hair growth on your head can be linked to a number of underlying conditions and should not be ignored during perimenopause. It can be a normal variation, but it can also be linked to other factors. So check out our hot flash on hair loss to learn more. So in conclusion, there can be a lot of body weirdness during this time. Things can change from week to week and month to month. And for some folks, it's a bumpy ride. 
but knowing it is a normal part of the transition can be helpful for many, and the symptoms are often short-lived and or well-managed with a shift in skincare. Okay, this hot flash is finished. Join us next time for more quick perimenopausal takes, and be sure to leave a comment with any questions or topics you would like to see covered in future episodes. literally even shave anymore i mean i do but i feel like i'm an elder and that all the youths just are like waxing themselves because i was gonna say like if you're spending a bunch of money on razors but people are gonna be like we don't use razors we're you the youths of the world <laughs>